Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. President Joe Biden giving his second State of the Union address tonight before a joint session of Congress and his first address since Republicans gained control of the House of Representatives. The president expected to talk about the economy, the federal budget and raising the debt ceiling, health care, immigration and border security, crime and police reform, Ukraine, China and more. Coming up, previews from the White House Chief of Staff and congressional leaders, both Democratic and Republican. And we'll hear from Gallup's editor-in-chief about their new poll on the mood of the nation. And from the Arkansas Gazette Washington correspondent on the State of the Union Republican response be given by Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Also, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell asked today about whether last week's interest rate increase would have happened had the Fed known about the huge jobs report that came out just a few days later. And dozens of constituents from New York's 3rd Congressional District are in Washington to call on freshman Republican Congressman George Santos to resign. Now to the State of the Union address. Begins 9 p.m. Eastern with the president's speech, followed by the Republican response. C-SPAN Networks will have live coverage. Also get reaction tonight from members of Congress and from you with listener and viewer calls. A report on the State of the Union is required by the U.S. Constitution. And as it turns out, U.S. House members today read aloud on the House floor the entire Constitution as the just-adopted rules the 118th Congress require. Congressman Russell Fry, Republican from South Carolina, read Article 2, Section 3, the State of the Union Clause. He shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. He may, on extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them in case of disagreement between them with respect to the time of adjournment. He may adjourn them up to such time as he shall think proper. He shall receive ambassadors and other public ministers he shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed and shall commission all officers of the United States. Congressman Russell Fry, Republican from South Carolina today on the House floor, part of a series of members reading the entire U.S. Constitution. Only Republicans taking part today. Six years ago, they did the same thing, read the Constitution. Both parties participated. 
Associated Press writing that President Joe Biden is ready to offer a reassuring assessment of the nation's condition rather than roll out flashy policy proposals as he delivers his second State of the Union address on Tuesday night, seeking to overcome pessimism in the country and concerns about his own leadership. His speech before a politically divided Congress comes as the nation struggles to make sense of confounding cross-currents at home and abroad, economic uncertainty, a wearying war in Ukraine, growing tensions with China among them, and warily sizes up President Biden's fitness for a likely re-election bid. That reporting from Associated Press. The White House Press Secretary Ron Klain speaking about the expected themes in the State of the Union address on Pod Save America podcast. Well, what they're going to hear, Tom, is a combination of, first of all, the progress we've made. I think it's important to remind the American people where we were, we got started, and what's happened to get us to where we are. But even more importantly, they're going to hear his plan to go forward from here. Uh, look, we've made tremendous progress on the economy, but there's a lot of important left work left to do to bring inflation down further uh, and to make sure we're building that kind of bottom-up, middle-out economy that's so important to the president. We've made progress restoring our alliances around the world. We've been ma- managing the largest land war in Europe since the end of World War II. Uh, but we have a lot of progress to make there, more work to do there to combat Russian aggression and to make sure uh, the Ukrainian people can be free. We have progress building a new clean energy economy uh, for the future that's going to create hundreds of thousands of jobs here in America, combat climate change, make our air cleaner, make our water, everything healthier here in the U.S. But there's a lot of work left to do there to implement uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, other measures that we passed along the way. So, uh, and look, we've made even progress on health care. Uh, we, this is something we started when you and I worked together in the Obama administration with the Affordable Care Act. Since then, we've passed additional measures. More Americans have health insurance today than any time in American history. We capped the price of insulin for people on Medicare at $35. We need to take that cap and make it true for everyone in the country, paying less than $35 on their insulin, bring down the cost of prescription drugs across the board. So you're going to hear the president update the country on the State of the Union today, but also lay out his plans how we can have an even better union a year or two years from now. White House Press Secretary Ron Klain on Pod Save America, a politically progressive podcast. Ron Klain is leaving his job as White House Press Secretary soon to be replaced by Jeff Zients. More from the Associated Press article on the State of the Union address. They write, President Biden will need to find a way to work across the aisle to keep the government funded by raising the federal debt limit by this summer. President has insisted that he won't negotiate on meeting the country's debt obligations. Republicans have been equally adamant that the president must make spending concessions. While hopes for large-scale bipartisanship are slim, President Biden was to reissue his 2022 appeal for Congress to get behind his unity agenda of actions to address the opioid epidemic, mental health, veterans' health, and fighting cancer. He was to announce new executive initiatives and call for lawmakers to act to support new measures to support cancer research, address housing needs and suicide among veterans, boost access to mental health care, and move to further crack down on deadly trafficking in fentanyl. In that reporting from Associated Press. House Republicans holding a news conference today talking about the State of the Union address. Here is the majority whip of the House, Tom Emmer, Republican from Minnesota. Tonight, we'll undoubtedly hear dizzying spin from Joe Biden as he attempts to tell the American people they're better off now than they were when he took office two years ago. But the fact remains, at the first chance they were given, 
American voters elected a Republican House majority to counteract Joe Biden's failed agenda. An agenda that has brought about two years of crisis after crisis, disaster after disaster. Tonight, Biden can try to gaslight on the economy and inflation. He can try to tell the American people they are not struggling financially. I'll remind the president that inflation surged to a 40-year high under his failing leadership, with economic experts blaming his policy. By the way, his own economic experts blaming his policies. I will also remind him that American families are struggling to pay their grocery bills and they're maxing out their credit cards. This is not economic success. Biden can try to deflect on the border crisis his policies have caused. I will remind the president that since he took office, there have been nearly five million illegal crossings at our southern border and fentanyl deaths are surging. Facts which he conveniently ignored until it became evident there was a new House majority in town to hold his administration accountable. Biden can try to claim our nation is respected on the world stage. I will remind the president that this nation has not forgotten his botched Afghanistan withdrawal. And I'm sure I don't need to remind him that the entire nation watched just this week as he failed to stand up to our number one adversary, China, while they collected intelligence across the entire continental United States. These are just a few of the numerous failings of his administration. There are, unfortunately, far too many to count. No amount of spin this evening will change the reality so many Americans are facing. They are worse off now than they were two years ago. That is a fact. Luckily, Americans elected a Republican House majority to stop this madness. House Republicans are laser focused on delivering results, if you've heard from these members today. And we're bringing Joe Biden and Senate Democrats, if they choose, along with us as we put an end to radical policies that govern and as we govern for, as uh, uh, Chairman Smith said, as we govern for the American people. Congressman Tom Emmer, Republican from Minnesota, the House Majority Whip at a news conference day with other House Republicans. CNN reports Paul Pelosi, Tyree Nichols' parents, U2 star Bono, Monterey Park shooting hero Brandon Say, Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Makarova, and a Holocaust survivor are among those headed to the U.S. Capitol Tuesday evening where President Joe Biden is set to deliver his State of the Union address. President Biden's remarks will both touch on key themes of his presidency and offer a preview of a 2024 re-election message. And the guest list for First Lady Jill Biden offers a blueprint for what to expect. The First Lady's 26 guests represent key administration priorities and accomplishments like infrastructure, mental health, climate, and health care. They also represent issues the administration has confronted in the past year, support for Ukraine in the face of Russian invasion, anti-Semitism, the overdose epidemic, support for same-sex marriage, increased political polarization, mass shootings, a renewed national conversation on justice and policing, and women's reproductive health. That from CNN. The House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York, speaking today about what he expects to hear at tonight's State of the Union Address. Tonight at the State of the Union Address, as House Democrats, we're excited to welcome President Joe Biden once again to the chambers of the House of Representatives to speak directly to the American people. Yes, about 
our accomplishments, the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the Chips and Science Act, gun safety legislation for the first time in 30 years, the Respect for Marriage Act, the PACT Act to stand up for our veterans, uh, and certainly the Inflation Reduction Act to strike a dramatic blow against the climate crisis, set our planet on a sustainable trajectory forward, stand up a clean energy economy, lower energy costs, strengthen the Affordable Care Act, drive down the high price of life-saving prescription drugs, including capping insulin at $35 a month for millions of seniors across the land. It's a track record of extraordinary accomplishment, and we'll share that continuously with the American people, not to say reward us, but to say trust us. We have your back. President Biden, Democrats in the House and the Senate will continue to work hard to put people over politics, to deliver real results for everyday Americans. And at the same time, we recognize that there is more work that needs to be done. And it's my expectation that President Biden will thoroughly and thoughtfully lay that out for the American people. We're going to build upon our track record of success and continue to fight for lower costs, for better paying jobs, for safer communities, to make sure we stand up for middle class Americans, for working class Americans, for seniors, for young people, for veterans, and for all of those Americans who aspire to be part of the great American middle class. President Biden is a blue collar president. He's a pro-union president. He's a pro-middle class president. It's in his bones. It's in his DNA. It's in his background. That is who Joe Biden is. That is who House Democrats are. And that is who we will continue to be in delivering for the people. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York, the House Minority Leader at a news conference today outside the U.S. Capitol building with other House Democrats on the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. This is Washington Today. The State of the Union page on Wikipedia has this. It has become customary to use the phrase, the State of the Union is strong, sometimes with slight variations. Since President Ronald Reagan introduced it in his 1983 address, it has been repeated by every president in nearly every year since, with the exception of George H.W. Bush. Gerald Ford's 1975 address had been the first to use the phrase, the State of the Union is, though President Ford completed the sentence with, not good. The company Gallup, known for its opinion polls, does an annual Mood of the Nation poll, and C-SPAN spoke about it with Gallup editor-in-chief, Mohammed Yunus. With the exception of Democrats on some issues, the mood is generally dissatisfied. Um, we've been asking uh, questions about a series of policy issues, but also general aspects of how things are going on in the country um, for decades, really in this poll now for over 20 years. And we've hit some record highs and lows. Um, most of them are really not going to be a surprise. Uh, the number one thing that Americans are dissatisfied with really um, is the nation's efforts to deal with poverty and homelessness. 83% of Americans overall are dissatisfied with that. 65% um, of Americans are dissatisfied with the level of immigration coming into the country. 63% um, of Americans are dissatisfied with policies on guns. 
So it really runs the gamut. Certainly um, the most impactful, I think, for all of us is people's assessment of the economy. Um, most Americans are definitely dissatisfied with the economy and actually have a pretty uh, gloomy perspective on what's going to happen in the next six months. But there are a lot of partisan differences on that that we can get into. The headline on the poll, if you want to look it up, betgallup.com, Americans still glum about the State of the Union in most areas. Uh, how does that compare uh, to other presidents, other administrations, as they uh, prepared to, to talk to the nation about the, the State of the Union? Where does this rank historically? Um, it's it's really a continuous story of a slow decline. Um, this is certainly not something that's unique to Biden's presidency. Um, these really negative perceptions we've seen track now, um, really for the past uh, three presidents, Biden, Trump, and Obama. Uh, the general sense of Americans about national government has been on the very quick decline. Um, it's interesting to note that uh, partisanship is always talked about, and we do see it in our data, that's another sign of this gradual uh, deterioration, really, of what one of your previous callers talked about, the country coming together. So it's not unique to Biden. It's really a continuation of this slow decline, uh, consistent decline that we see with Americans' level of satisfaction with many facets of life. And, and that's really a bipartisan sentiment, uh, with some exceptions. And then let's dig into some of those partisan differences that uh, that you alluded to a minute ago. So two that jump out from your polling is uh, Americans' satisfaction with the influence of organized religion among Republicans, 60% saying they are very or somewhat satisfied with the influence of organized religion in U.S. society. Just 34% of Democrats. If you skip to the bottom of what you're seeing on your screen, that last question talked about the size and power of the federal government. Just 14% of Republicans saying they're very or somewhat satisfied with the size and power of the federal government in U.S. society today. 52% of Democrats saying that they're very or somewhat satisfied with the size and power of the federal government. Those differences, Mr. Yunus. Yes, and those differences are actually unique to point out because the most important problem most consistently mentioned by Americans has actually been poor government and poor leadership. And it's not just Republicans. Uh, Democrats also are pretty frustrated with national government. But certainly in terms of the role religion plays in public life, it's not surprising uh, that Republicans would have a different view than Democrats. I think the most important thing on that metric really over time has been the degree to which the level of dissatisfaction has actually decreased. Um, so we used to see 65, 70% dissatisfaction in earlier generations of the role of religion in public life, um, people wanting to see it play more of a role. And that's actually waned off quite a bit, um, coinciding with the rise of people who identify as nuns, not with a U, but with an O, people who don't have a religious affiliation. Um, some of the other really important differences are along the lines of um, gun policy, uh, attitudes about the quality of the environment in the nation. 62% of Republicans, for example, are satisfied. 23% of Democrats are satisfied. But I will point this out, John. When you look at the partisan differences, it's important to keep in mind that this year, Republicans actually look a lot more like independents on many of these questions. It's really Democrats who stand out. Um, on some of these metrics. And, and it's not surprising, given the partisan swing that we've seen. Democrats with their president in office are more positive on a lot of these metrics. But when you look at independents, they're actually much more similar to Republicans um, on some of these metrics. 
one of the really important topics that don't get a lot of uh, focus in the media per se, but have consistently come up in our polls is concerns about immigration. Right now, um, as I mentioned, over six in 10 Americans overall are dissatisfied with the level of immigration in the country. When we ask among those dissatisfied, 64% say they want less immigration into the United States. And it's not necessarily something that Democrats are overwhelmingly opposite on or happy about the, the, the state of immigration policy. So immigration really is one that continues to come up, uh, both in terms of our most important problem, but also in terms of this satisfaction metric. The other one, of course, the huge one is abortion. Um, 60, uh, 72% of, Amer of Americans who are Republicans say that they're satisfied, for example, with the status of women in society. Only 46 percent of Democrats share that view. 39% of Democrats are satisfied with the nation's abortion laws. 13% of Democrats share that view. So nobody overwhelmingly pleased with the state of abortion uh, laws and policies in the country, obviously for very different reasons. But the Dobbs decision has really triggered a big focus on women's rights and abortion uh, as a topic once again in this uh, in our times. Mohamed Yunus is editor-in-chief of Gallup, joining C-SPAN on this morning's Washington Journal program to talk about their annual Mood of the Nation poll. Washington Journal is live every morning at 7 Eastern on C-SPAN Radio and also C-SPAN Television. As mentioned earlier in this program, two of the guests in First Lady Jill Biden's box in the gallery of the House chamber during President Biden's State of the Union address tonight will be the mother and stepfather of Tyree Nichols, the man who died after being beaten by Memphis police officers after a traffic stop last month. His death has revived calls for police reform at the federal level. And today, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, Democrat from Ohio, spoke with reporters about what she'd like to hear on this issue in tonight's speech. I'm uh, very hopeful and I've been reassured by the White House that the president will talk about policing reform. As you know, uh, he passed last year a very strong executive order. He met with the Congressional Black Caucus earlier in the week. Stephen Horsford and other members have a plan of action. We want to revisit George Floyd. Uh, Justice and Policing Act. Today we will have more than a dozen families uh, who the president is aware of that will be there from Ohio. We have Jalen Walker's uh, mother, but we also will have Tyree Nichols' mother here, the, the most recent. Uh, the president has always kept his word. He's always been out front uh, with policing, so I am very hopeful that he will talk about progress and possibilities with it. Are you expecting him to call on Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act? Or do you think, is, is he going to push for something new? What are you hearing? I think it'll be a combination of everything. I think his message will be so strong that it will send a clarion message to us uh, that we need to revisit it. Too many lives have been lost at the hands of police officers. And we know that there are things in the George Floyd Justice and Policing that will help us. It will help us with changing the culture. When you think of a registry, when you think of those things that are in there, de-escalation. If you watched any part of that last test, um, tape, you know that there was escalation. Uh, you know that there were things in there that those officers should never have done. We pay them to protect us. And so to have a life lost at the hands of those who are hired to serve and protect um, is, is just baffling for me, gut-wrenching with this last case with Tyree. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, Democrat from Ohio, with reporters this morning outside the regular 
Tuesday private meeting of House Democrats. An article in the Washington Examiner has this, Democrats are pushing to resurrect the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, something Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina, has called a non-starter in bipartisan negotiations on police reform. Senator Scott, who led talks with Senator Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, in the last session of Congress, has advocated pared-down reforms that conceivably could garner Republican support. The Republican response to tonight's State of the Union address will be given by Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was just elected for the first time this past November. She is also a former White House press secretary under former President Donald Trump. We spoke about the selection with Arkansas Democrat Gazette Washington correspondent Alex Thomas. Governor Sanders was picked because, as Republican leaders put it, she's building this divide between the new generation of Republicans and these leadership values that they have seen in previous leaders. In fact, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy mentioned her father, Mike Huckabee, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was 13 years old in July of 1996. That's when Mike Huckabee became the governor of Arkansas. And this is a big idea and a big move for Republicans to really bridge the old party, relatively old, and then the new ideas that they want to see going forward, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell calling Sanders part of this new wave of Republican leaders, Republican governors, this new generation that can really put forward new values and new ideas and put the country back on track in their opinion. At 40 years old, the youngest governor in the nation. Uh, what has Governor Sanders said that she's going to talk about tonight? Right. So she really wants to put this new idea of optimism in comparison to the Biden administration, as well as Democrats who have been in power in Washington for the last two years. And keep in mind, John, she's only been in office for a month, but she has taken on some very conservative issues that conservatives are happy that she's addressing through executive action. She has banned the use of TikTok on state devices. She has prohibited the use of Latinx on state documents, and she has prevented the use and teaching of critical race theory, ideas that are very popular among conservatives that have conservatives in Arkansas and across the country very interested in seeing what she can do over the continuation of her time in office. These opposition party responses to the president's State of the Union, often an afterthought. Has there been any talk uh, or have you learned anything about how uh, Governor Sanders or Republicans will try to make sure this doesn't kind of get lost in the mix here after the president's address? Right. So one thing you have to keep in mind is that this address does present an opportunity for leaders to make a statement, enter the national spotlight. In fact, in 1985, Bill Clinton helped give the Democratic response to Ronald Reagan's State of the Union address that year. So this is an opportunity for Governor Sanders and Republicans to utilize this speech, set a new course for the election of 2024, as well as the remainder of this Congress, because you do have the House that is Republican and you do have some policy goals that they do want to address, even with the split Congress the way that it is. Alex Thomas is Washington correspondent with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, joining C-SPAN on this morning's Washington Journal program. He mentioned Bill Clinton gave the State of the Union response, and then, of course, later he became president. He gave a State of the Union address. Three other people in U.S. history have done that, both a State of the Union address and opposition response. Gerald Ford. George H.W. Bush and Joe Biden. Joe Biden gave the response in 1983 and 84, along with other Democratic senators and House members. The practice of an opposition response to the State of the Union address dates from 1966. 
The BBC's North American correspondent writes that Joe Biden's State of the Union address to Congress on Tuesday comes at a pivotal time in his presidency. By most indications, he is poised to announce a bid for re-election next year, and the speech provides a high-profile platform from which he can make his case to the American people, the media, and key figures within the Democratic Party. Before the president gets to that, however, he will be under intense pressure to address the issue that has been hovering over his administration since Friday. The Chinese spy balloon and the U.S. reaction to it has dominated headlines, captivated the attention of the American public, and prompted sharp criticism of the Biden administration from Republicans. That reporting from BBC. The U.S. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Republican from Louisiana, asked about it today by a reporter. And this is a national security threat uh, that was a test. You know, and President Biden tried to call it a success that they shot the balloon down over the ocean. The problem is it was the wrong ocean shot it down over. Atlantic, it should have been the Pacific Ocean. You can look at the trajectory of that balloon and when the American government detected it. Uh, there were many opportunities over the Pacific Ocean to shoot it down before it could actually carry out its mission. It completed its mission. President Biden let it complete its mission before he shot it down. Uh, and it went over many military bases. It wasn't some random uh, path that it took through the United States. It was very specific through a number of very sensitive military bases that it flew over. And this idea that, oh, don't worry, it wasn't collecting data or sending it back to China. How can anybody say that with a straight face? First of all, it was still flying on its path. So it was getting some kind of data from somewhere to know where to go. Are you telling me it wasn't also sending information back during that path? It should have never been allowed to complete its mission. It should have never been allowed to start its mission. It should have been shot down over the Pacific Ocean when we had multiple opportunities. Republican Congressman Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader at a news conference today. Political reports that House Republican leaders are moving ahead with plans to pass a symbolic measure this week condemning a Chinese surveillance balloon, and it may even be bipartisan. House Republicans had previously discussed a resolution aimed squarely at President Biden and his handling of the balloon as they aim to put it on to a vote perhaps on Tuesday, the same day as his annual State of the Union. But several members, including Foreign Affairs Chair Michael McCall, Republican from Texas, privately lobbied GOP leaders to pivot toward a bipartisan center of the Chinese spy tactics, a rare issue that both sides unite behind. That from Politico. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, saying today he would like to see the Senate also pass a bipartisan resolution on that suspected Chinese spy balloon. Say back to the State of the Union, you mentioned the Chinese spy balloon. There's still, the U.S. military is still recovering some of the debris um, from the ocean right now. How much do you want to hear President Biden discuss the Chinese spy balloon in his State of the Union today? Well, there'll be a limit to what he can discuss because a lot of it will be classified. But again, I think he can say this. I've said it. It's not classified. By letting the balloon be shot down over water. We got far greater look at these balloons, which are relatively new. Um, we didn't know about them. This, our military and our surveillance, NSA, didn't know about them till last year. Three of them went over when Trump was there, which can't blame Trump because he didn't know of them. They didn't know of them then. We're just learning of them. Having them come down over water is a, is, is a huge, huge advantage than having them come down over land. Because over water, much of the surveillance balloons stuff can be recovered. So we're going to know what it is, and we're also going to know what they've, what they've sought. And even as the balloon 
uh, came over the southeastern part of the United States, we were monitoring it very, very carefully to see what the Chinese were picking up and not. So I think we're going to learn a lot. How much he can, t I think he can talk about that he did, he listened to the military. By the way, had he not listened to the military, do you think those same Republicans would have said, he was premature, you know, he did it too soon, he should have listened to the military. I bet some of them would have. But in any case, although we, we, that didn't happen. Um, so I think that uh, he, will, he will show why he did it, but I don't think we'll get the details till we have our classified briefing on Thursday. And by the way, that briefing was going to be the Gang of Eight, but lots of members wanted it. They were entitled to it. So I requested that it be expanded to the whole Senate, and the administration agreed. Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, majority leader at a news conference. And again, the State of the Union address tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern on C-SPAN Radio and C-SPAN Television. Anywhere on the C-SPAN Now mobile app, listen on your smart speaker, say play C-SPAN Radio, and they'll be followed by the Republican response this year by Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. ABC News reports the U.S. Navy on Tuesday released the first close-up photos of operations to recover parts of the Chinese surveillance balloon shot down on Saturday. Photos showed debris recovery efforts on Sunday off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Washington Today continues in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and on the C-SPAN Now mobile app. A few more headlines. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh expected to leave his position soon to become head of the National Hockey League's Players Union. First of President Biden's cabinet secretaries to resign. Several news outlets citing anonymous sources reporting this move, including CNN and ESPN. President of Turkey announcing a three-month state of emergency at the death toll from the powerful earthquake that struck southern Turkey and northwest Syria on Monday, now passing 7,000 with over 5,000 buildings collapsed. The number of dead likely to grow given the aftershocks and the freezing weather. Search teams and emergency aid from around the world, including the U.S., are pouring in. And Ukraine's military says the last 24 hours of fighting were the deadliest for Russian troops in the year-long war. Over 1,000 killed. Ukraine is preparing for a possible Russian offensive with that anniversary of the invasion just over two weeks away. Story in the Wall Street Journal, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said the labor market's surprising strength underscores why the central bank thinks it will face a longer battle to bring inflation down than many investors had been anticipating. A Labor Department report Friday that showed hiring accelerated in January was, according to Mr. Powell, certainly strong, stronger than anyone I know expected. He says it kind of shows you why we think this will be a process that takes a significant period of time. Fed Chair Powell was interviewed today by Economic Club of Washington President David Rubenstein. And why don't we start with an easy question? <laughs> so you made a speech last week commenting on the FOMC's decision to raise the Fed discount rate by um, 
a, a small amount, relatively speaking, 25 basis points. Some people would say that was small. Um, but at the time, it wasn't clear that the jobs report would be as strong as it turned out to be subsequently. Had you known that the jobs report was going to be as strong, <laughs> would you have done 25 basis points or something different? David, thank you for that question, and thank you, <clears throat> thank you for inviting me here today. It's great to be here. Uh, so we don't get to play it that way, unfortunately. We have to, uh, but I'll, so I'll, I'll take it this way. <clears throat> uh, so the message we were sending at the FOMC meeting last Wednesday was really that um, the disinflationary process, the process of getting inflation down, has begun, and it's begun in the goods sector, which is uh, about a quarter of our economy. But it has a long way to go. These are the very early stages of disinflation. So the services sector really, except for housing services, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, is not really showing any, any disinflation yet. So our message really was this process is likely to take quite a bit of time. Uh, it's not going to be, uh, we don't think, smooth. It's probably going to be bumpy. And so we think that we're going to need to do further rate increases, as we said, and we, we think that we'll need to hold policy at a restrictive level for a period of time. Then comes the, uh, the, the uh, labor market report for January. And it's very strong. It's certainly stronger than anyone I know expected. <clears throat> and so, but, but I would say, we didn't expect it to be this strong, but I would say it, it kind of shows you why we think that this will be a, a, a process that takes a significant period of time. It, the, the labor market's extraordinarily strong. And by the way, it's good. It's a good thing that inflation has started to come down without it, that has not happened at the, at the cost of a strong labor market. So, and of course, since then, labor market, sorry, financial conditions have tightened significantly since then. The Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell interviewed by Economic Club of Washington President David Rubenstein. Today's program at a hotel in Washington, D.C. Another question was about the Fed Chair's relationships with presidents. Does the President of the United States ever call you with any advice or you don't realize it? He did President Trump ever call you or President Biden ever call you or? Well, I, I think it's a matter of public record that President Trump did used to call me from time to time. Okay. What did he call you? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I haven't had that kind of, uh, I haven't gotten any calls from, uh, from President Biden. Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Wall Street today, the Dow up 265, NASDAQ up 226, S&P up 52. Airline safety, the subject of today's House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee hearing. Congressman Brian Babin, Republican from Texas, questioning the FAA Acting Associate Administrator for Aviation Safety, David Bolter, about what can be done to prevent incidents like the near miss this past weekend in his district between a Southwest Airlines plane with passengers and a FedEx cargo plane when there was heavy fog in the area. I'm thrilled to hear everyone highlight the successes of the past decade in terms of safety. And many of you and your organization should be celebrated for just for that. However, there's a lot of room for improvement. Uh, an example is just three days ago in my great state of Texas, uh, at, Tech, at uh, Austin Bergstrom International Airport, uh, two planes were less than 100 feet away from a catastrophic collision that would have put more than 130 people's lives at risk. And uh, that's unacceptable. As many of you stated, we can't get our eye, take our eye off the ball. We've got to work together. We've got to keep getting better. We have to continue to, to innovate and improve. 
and I want to applaud all of you for being here uh, to be a part of that process with this committee. And, but from my perspective, recent disruptions and groundings appear to be due in large part to reliance on outdated technology and systems, some of which are built on software that is decades old, uh, like the NOTAM system. Uh, the commercial connected aviation system sector has made major strides in leveraging the latest in cloud computing, predictive analysis, analytics, and interlinked systems. These align with all of the current cyber standards offer reliable and stable solutions to government and to industry. It's striking to see that the failure to use or partner with the right software and service providers could directly result in a disruptive impact on our passengers, the airlines themselves, and shaking public confidence in our air operations. There are a number of examples of commercial con uh, connected software providers that have emerged over the last decade or so, but Houston is home to Flight Aware, owned by Collins Aerospace's Connected Aviation Solutions business, which provides real-time data and services to airlines, airports, and the government that would provide substantial benefit to the FAA and to operators. Other types of software include advanced flight profile optimization to help optimize flight paths based on real-time weather and traffic data to optimize routes, as well as new traffic management software systems that benefit from the innovative software advancements. So Acting Director Bolter, uh, thank you for being here. These questions are for you. How do we use this upcoming FAA reauthorization to accelerate the migration from outdated legacy software systems that are used by the FAA and industry to the best solutions available to date? And is this a matter of providing direction or other obstacles? Are there other obstacles, rather? Sir, I think we all have the same interest that, that these systems be state-of-the-art. Um, I, 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 my area in aviation safety doesn't work, doesn't, does not own the air traffic systems, but uh, we can certainly uh, have, have our air traffic folks come in and, and, and brief you on, on their plans going forward on all those, all those you talked about are all air traffic systems. Um, and, you know, we have a, as a safety organization, we, you know, it's important that that technology continue to improve. Okay. Then how do we support greater use of commercial data services by the FAA either as a replacement or a complement to current legacy systems? Again, sir, I, you know, I don't want to speak for the air traffic organization on how to do that. I know that on, you know, in my previous uh, job as, a, as running the agency's airplanes, we did use commercial services to, to in, in that, but you're talking about using those same commercial services maybe into the air traffic system. Uh, you know, that would be, have to be something air traffic would look at very, very carefully. Okay. Congressman Brian Babin, Republican from Texas, questioning David Bolter, Federal Aviation Administration Acting Associate Administrator for Aviation Safety at today's Transportation and Infrastructure Committee hearing. Other witnesses included the chair of the National Transportation Safety Board and the president of the Airline Pilots Association International. You can find the full hearing at our video library at cspan.org. On Capitol Hill, a protest against a member of Congress. About 45 constituents from New York's 3rd Congressional District outside the U.S. Capitol building calling on their congressman, Republican George Santos, to resign. The congressman says he will not. WPIX in New York reporting that they brought along a petition with about 1,500 signatures. Congressman Santos is facing House Ethics Committee complaints about 
alleged campaign finance violations and sexual harassment. He's also been criticized for lying about parts of his biography. One of the constituents speaking today, Ben Marzuk. As a Republican, George Santos certainly does not represent my party. He has tarnished my district and created an embarrassment for a party that we should not be defined by him. Republicans standing next to him proves that the nation cannot tell the difference between right and wrong, cannot tell the difference between a hardworking congressman, an honest congressman or congresswoman, and an individual who is just simply a con man. Individuals who do the right thing, who are honorable, and a person who is just a liar. You know, we come from a community where I know that we're laughing a little bit about some of his lies, but one thing that's really not funny is this this is a community that at 9-11, we lost over 400 people on Long Island alone. I was down there. I was three blocks away when it happened. I know a lot of people who were obviously affected by it. We live next to a community by the name of Manhasset, New York. Manhasset, New York had approximately 60 funerals within a two and a half to three week span. Two to three funerals a day. That's not funny. To say that your mother was part of that, you have to be really psychologically impaired to throw that around like it's nickels. Ben Marzuk, resident of New York's 3rd Congressional District on Capitol Hill today outside the U.S. Capitol building with other constituents from that district. Also at the news conference, two Democratic members of Congress from New York, Dan Goldman and Richie Torres, who have filed ethics complaints against Congressman Santos. Ben Marzuk referring to the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. Congressman Santos said on the House floor on Monday that he is bringing to tonight's State of the Union address a former Ground Zero volunteer firefighter, Michael Weinstock, who Congressman Santos says has not been able to get help for a nerve disorder that is not covered under the World Trade Center Health Program. Michael's story is one of many that have yet to be told to a wider audience. This issue goes beyond the political pale of Republicans versus Democrat. As a member of the 118th Congress, I would like to use this opportunity to raise, to raise awareness of what the men and women who suffer from this debilitating disease due to the exposure of the toxins from the World Trade Center. Since the World Trade Center Health Program does not cover neuropathy, people like Michael must pay out of pocket for treatment, medications, and other medical needs. I ask my colleagues that we work together and find a solution and have conditions such as neuropathy be covered under the World Trade Center Program Act. Tomorrow, I'm proud to have Michael as my guest for the State of the Union Address, and I'm proud to be his member as he is a constituent of the 3rd Congressional District. Congressman George Santos, Republican from New York, on the House floor Monday in anticipation of today and tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden gives the State of the Union Address. We'll have live coverage 
on C-SPAN radio and C-SPAN television, followed by the Republican response from this year, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word, to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. Subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night. 